Welcome to the Our Innergate podcast. We're leading the education rebellion for nurses by nurses. Your hosts, Karen DeMarco and Antra Boyd, asked me to do this intro because of my sexy voice. You're welcome. Get ready to be enlightened, entertained and inspired by experts who don't just think outside the box. They blow it up and want to resuscitate your love for learning. When you're finished, listen for instructions on how to check off one of those CE credit boxes by heading over to the rnegade.pro website. Keep your knickers on. The show is about to start. Actually, knickers are optional. We'll never know. You're in Chicago, right? Right. I went through Chicago. Do you do a lot of podcasts, Brad? If you would have asked me that a year ago, I would have said no. But yeah, I've done a few. You have? I have. Have you? Well, no, we're just starting. You're like one of our, like, you're in the top 10, buddy. I want to make this the best one. I want to make it the most interesting. I want to make it, you know, entertaining, fluid, engaging, conversational, laughable. You guys are fun. You're the fun ones. We are so fun. And together we're trouble. So actually, that's kind of an interesting place to begin, because that's how we all met through Karen Mercero. I mean, she's kind of our, our contact between the three mm-hmm. of us. So can yeah. we start just from there and see what happens? Like, how did you meet Karen? I met Karen in San Diego a few years ago. It was at a conference. It was the first time I met her in person. And she gets up and she says her piece. And it's not bullshit. And it's not prepared. And it's from the heart. I was still trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, GNA wasn't on the real radar at that point in time. But I will say that this was kind of like an, an investigational tour for me to gain a little bit of understanding about what was going on nationally. And I loved Karen immediately after I heard what she had to say in a very short period of time. And we kept in touch, started communicating. I went and visit at the ranch. I felt like it was real important for me to get a feel for what the actual in-person aspect of the program looked like drink some cool mixtures of some incredible stuff, sat down for hours and talked. I really, if I'm going to compare it to anything, and I always joke about it in my head, but it was almost like going to meet Yoda. <laughs> I got like some super Jedi training in a remote location under the guidance of a Jedi master. I know that there are a lot of programs. I know that there are a lot of credentials and credentialing bodies, but I believe that Karen laid the groundwork for so much. I just, I want to do everything I can like you guys. So I I will say that I don't know that greater national advocates would have even occurred if it weren't for me knowing that there were people that were RNPA that I've always said are the pinnacle of the advocacy movement. I believe that curriculum is stronger and more integrative than anything else that I've seen. So it gave me good confidence knowing that if the bar was set at the RNPA level in terms of national advocacy, then we were in good shape. I've stayed in touch with Karen ever since and we collaborate, do everything that we can to try and make this happen. Brad, I'm curious, what drew you to that conference in the first place? 
I was trying to canvas the uh, USA, you know? I mean, I was getting ready to consider starting greater national advocates. I knew that there were groups in, you know, Washington and Portland and, you know, Northwest has always kind of allegedly been a progressive part of the country. Arizona, Florida, there were certain places where I know that the movement at least had legs. And there were enough people that were actually practicing patient advocacy. So I wanted to meet the people that were on the ground that were doing it in the various areas. So I went to places like San Diego, Arizona, Massachusetts, Florida, New York, wherever I could for you know a good year, year and a half or so, just meeting people. That's what drew me there. Can you give us some background on why you were drawn to these places and why Greater National Advocates was started? Like, can you go back? I mean, we all know each other, so we all know your story, but for I don't, though, actually. I don't know the full story, generally, yes. I know why, you know, Antra and I saw what we saw being nurses on the inside. You came to be passionate about patient advocacy because you were one of the patient's like one of the people we saw that made us go, oh, hell no. I entered the emergency room with symptoms that in my mind were obviously significant enough to make me go to the emergency room. But I went to the emergency room uh, on a holiday, Mother's Day, when and it was right at the time when everybody was celebrating with their family on Mother's Day. It's a beautiful day, I'll never forget it. And it was just apparent that when I arrived, that the people that were there, obviously the second shift, and you could just tell, you know, you, know, you could you could tell that the, the emergency room was not busy at all. And everybody was just sitting around on their phones, making small talk, laughing. And they took my history, you know, and obviously that's the first thing that happens when you go through triage. And I'll say that I took an ambulance to the ER because I knew enough knowing that at least if you take an ambulance, you're going to get seen right away. And they asked me all the normal questions that you get asked, you know, how long have you had the headache? Any other symptoms? Recent travel? Had you had an alcohol to drink within the last 24 hours? And I answered all the questions because they wanted to know why I was at the hospital with a headache that was severe enough that a 37-year-old is going to decide to call 911. So I told him the truth. And I said, no, no real recent travel. Right now, no other symptoms, but you know, I'm still not feeling myself. And in terms of alcohol, my wife turned 40 years old over the weekend, and I threw a small wine tasting private event, small group of people for her, surprise wine tasting, meaning sips of wine. I know I'm not the only one that has had this experience, but the EPIC chart system was relatively new at the time. Not everybody was familiar with it. There was a lot of cutting and pasting going on. I know that still goes on. But my history of being a 37-year-old man going to the ER got charted down as being a 37-year-old man with a headache who has a history of consuming alcohol within the last 24 hours. And I believe that that initial note, the initial historical note that appeared on the top of the chart that everybody saw when every shift change occurred, whenever somebody else came into my room, I believe that based on that history, 
that they were predisposed to not really treat me as though it was anything else other than a hangover. I've never gone to a hospital for a headache. Something wasn't right. The thing I take away from my visit to the ER is that, you know, you need to trust your body and the people that work at the hospitals need to understand that you're there for a reason. I happened to be in the situation where I had friends, I had family. I mean, the hospital that I went to was literally five minutes away from where I was living. My wife followed the ambulance in the car, uh, called my parents, my brothers and sisters. So within a half an hour of me arriving at the hospital, I, I had six or seven people that were with me and that were interested in making sure that I was getting good care. And, you know, the fact that I had the people with me is important, but it's equally important that I wasn't really a foreigner to the medical profession, not because I practice medicine, but because as a lawyer, most of the litigation that I was engaged in dealt with medical issues. It was people that were making claims for injuries, and it kind of exposed me to the medical profession, the medical system. When you start taking depositions of doctors, nurses, techs, administrators, over the course of 10 or 15 years, you start to learn a little bit about how things work and you learn the lingo and you know what words to use. So in terms of being, you know, what we would call an empowered patient, mm -hmm. I felt like I was one. I felt like I knew the lingo. I knew the language. I knew who to talk to. I, knew, I just knew. And I wasn't shy and I wasn't afraid to speak up. I wasn't the classic submissive, yes, doctor, yes, doctor, sure, whatever you say, no. I went in there because I wanted help. I, as many people know, but as not enough people know, once you become the patient, all of the training, all of the knowledge that you have pretty much goes straight out the window because you're not in a position to be advocating for anybody, let alone yourself, when you're stripped down naked in a gown that ties on the back. That surprised you about yourself? It, it did. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I got out of this most is just the physical disadvantage of the entire scenario. I was used to confronting, I say the word confronting because they were confrontations, confronting doctors across the table in a conference room going over treatment and care and policy. And now I'm lying on a bed in a gown and it's a different dynamic altogether. So just to be clear, so your area of specialty in the legal arena is malpractice? It wasn't really malpractice at the time, but it was people that were injured, okay? And uh, gotcha. people that were in litigation. It just exposes you to everything because you have to track the case from, you know, accident to emergency room to follow up. So you learn about the entire process, you know, how things are supposed to be done, you know, and you, you witness a lot of things through that. Before you go on, I just want to like flag this point, especially with the two of you here, because you've mm -hmm. both had Antra is a wickedly talented dog with a bone, 20 years clinical nursing skills, plus patient advocacy. She knows how to research and get things done. And then she gets her own diagnosis and has the experience you did. You're a patient and there's actually a biological reason. You know, you go into the a stress response there is no more forebrain. It's all hindbrain. It's, you know, it's survival thinking, not logic and processing and 
wait a minute, they should be doing that. Wait a minute, what was that? I'm sure you don't do that. And so I just wanted to flag it because for anybody listening to this, if it's the first time they've ever heard anything that we do, it's so important. And you both are experts in your field. You're familiar with this and you get stupid when right. you're a patient. <laughs> you just breathe. You absolutely breathe and get stupid. You become completely submissive. You rely on people to do their job. You rely on all the other people there that are around you. They don't know what to do. And that's when everything breaks down. And I became a victim of a horrible uh, set of circumstances, a cascade of horrific events. And I will wrap it up and say that I entered the hospital at about 5 or 5.30 in the afternoon on the weekend of Mother's Day. I believe it was a Sunday. The first thing that they do is they draw blood, which is great because they send a stat up to the lab and they're waiting on the results. And that worked. The lab got the blood and they analyzed the results. And the results came back and the results were all flagged. and They were bold and highlighted exclamation points saying panic. Everything was going off the charts. There was no doubt that I was headed towards sepsis. But when the labs got sent down, there was a major communication breakdown. There was a transition in care. It got passed off and it was, it was just crazy. It started the whole thing where nobody saw the labs, nobody knew, and then nobody paid attention. And I was still, you know, three, four hours into this patient A in room one, 37 year old with a headache. What's his chart? Oh yeah, this guy, he's got a hangover, you know, give him some fluids. He'll be okay. So that's how I was treated. And that's what led to it. And there was nobody there to advocate for me or fight for me, even though I thought I could, I could do it for somebody else. My family thought they could, but there was nobody there to pull it all together. Nobody to say, I see that the uh, last shift change was five. Who's reviewed the charts? And that was the other thing too, that I noticed was not only was I incapable of speaking up and saying, no, listen, something is really wrong, but neither was my family. So right. even if I had somebody with me, which I did, when the doctor recommended chemotherapy, he was supposed to be the note taker until like, you know, write out specifically what the doctor was saying. And we got out of the appointment and he'd gotten like two words on paper. So, you know, we say bring somebody with you and that's better than nothing. But quite frankly, when it's something like what you were dealing with, Brad, that wasn't very helpful either for right. me. Right. So I was a defense lawyer before this happened. My job was to work for the insurance company and pretty much investigate claims and find out the people that were faking their injuries. It just required me to go through a lot of the whole medical wor health world from billing to everything. But you uh, saw the underbelly of everything. Shady doctor, <laughs> let's be real. I mean, we're going back into the early days of like the pain clinics and all the crazy shit in the early beginnings of the opioid epidemic, going after these scumbags. But the bottom line is I go back to work, you know, I get my prosthetics, I go through the rehab, year and a half, two years later, I go back and I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? Am I going to still keep working for the insurance companies? What happened to me became obvious after looking at the medical records, and some of the fabrications. You got to believe me when I say this, that I am not one of the crazy people that always thinks that people are writing down false chart entries. But again, it's like anything else until it happens to you, you absolutely don't believe it. I ended up filing a medical malpractice lawsuit based on the fact that not only did they deny me the treatment, but they also lied about why they didn't. That's how I know 
they were headed down a, a different path. So I started trying to find out what I was going to do. And, you know, the obvious thing for a lawyer who wants to get involved in trying to make the system better, the first thing you think of is like, oh, well, I'll be a medical malpractice lawyer, right? I'm going to go fight for the rights of the people and get compensation from but So people call a medical malpractice lawyer. And let's be real at this time, you know, I've got my aesthetics. I already have this story that everybody can identify with if they're looking for a lawyer, like, oh my God, this guy's been through all this horror. He could definitely help me. And everybody starts calling, but they're not medical malpractice cases or any type of case that you could ever really bring to court. First of all, we should all know that going to court on a med mal case is going to take you four to six years and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And most of the complaints I was getting were systemic in nature. There were bad relationships with doctors. They were coordination of care problems. In other words, death of screw-ups. I was overwhelmed with phone calls from people that were just lost in the system that felt like they had no other option in dealing with healthcare and dealing with doctors and dealing with insurance other than to call a lawyer. Can I back up for a second? And I'm totally squirreling, but you know, I keep thinking about where you're about to go is how can I prevent this from happening to people in the first place. And when you were going through that experience in the hospital yourself, are there any landmarks on the way in that story for anybody listening? What could I do? Like, where could I notice that something's going wrong? Where can I, you know, be a bulldog or? In my particular case, it's a rare, rare situation where it's not like feeling a lump on a part of your body and you can't get an appointment the next day and the doctor can only see you in a week and a half or whatever, you know, there are certain things where, you know, time is important, but it's not a matter of hours and minutes. And in my case, because of the nature of what was going on with me, which was bacterial meningitis, which broke the bloodstream and became cerebral. It became a systemic blood infection. That is the definition of sepsis and all the numbers were there. But in terms of what could have been done, I don't know that either myself or anybody in my family would have known to say, if you got to the ER at 5.30 and if blood was drawn at 5.40 and it's now 6.30 and we haven't heard anything about the lab results, should we call? I know you're not the nurse that was here when he arrived. And that might be part of the problem, but nobody knew how to use those words. And I wasn't in a condition. So in my, that first hour mattered. The mm-hmm. second hour mattered. The third hour mattered. The fourth hour mattered. And any time up until about that seventh or eighth hour, the administration the antibiotics and fluids and resuscitation is going to start to reverse the symptoms and eventually kill the disease. And if you don't know what it is, go broad spectrum, but I got nothing. And there was nobody there that knew how to use those words and that terminology to get to the right people and and break through what their preconceived notions were as to why I was there in the first place. So other than a bunch of nervous family members running around saying, hey, where's the doctor? Who's in charge here? And me saying, I'm starting to shiver a little bit here. Yeah, my headache's getting worse. I'm not feeling better. Please, I hope it goes away. That's what happens. I think what you just said, once you say, Andra, what you just said, will probably save lives. Yeah. Because people don't even know that one thing. This is the nature of the emergency room. Blood is drawn. 
10 minutes after you get there, should be back. It's labeled stat, ER is a priority, should be back within an hour. And if yep. it's not, start Easy. asking. Hey, why, in your opinion, do people not know how to say, because to me, that seems relatively simple, but is it, the, is it the fact that we're all emotional and we just don't, or is it that we don't have the education to like what? Karen, I think you said it's physiological something or just going into shock or yeah. whatever it is, you know? You just lose your brain, basically. You need to be able to have an objective viewpoint, somebody that can take a step back. I try and be very clear that my case is really unique in terms of how I believe that advocacy could have helped me in that immediate time and why I think it inspired me to do everything that I'm doing with Greater National Advocates. And it's made me concentrate on the emergency because I think that that is the time when people are most apt to actually start looking for something when it is an emergency. And I started off focusing on medical crisis and when are people going to actually take that step to look for the help. Uh, we, we started off with that, but we're trying to educate and expand advocacy just like everybody to prevent bad things from happening before they happen. Because as I learned, the legal profession isn't doing it. And when people were calling me and still call me for these horrific medical malpractice scenarios, at least now I have a place to tell them to go. Whereas, mm -hmm. Five, six, seven years ago, I was unfortunately doing what every other medical malpractice lawyer, every lawyer for that matter, is doing, which is saying, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Uh, there's nowhere for me to send you. This isn't something we can do that you're on your own. Now there are at least there are advocates out there. I have a lot of goals. I believe that everything is going circular. Everything is going to be connected and with good people working together for the right reasons, we're going to get the job accomplished of making this an everyday household word and making it as common as plumbers are. And I don't know why I like to use that analogy, but I just like to think that, you know, a couple hundred, no, a thousand, whatever. I don't know when plumbers were invented right around the time pipes and sinks were, but I know they couldn't have been called plumbers the whole time. At one point in time, they had to go around and say, hi, I'm a plumber. This is my job. I work <laughs> on pipes and sinks. So, you know, we're in that kind of stage right now, but everybody knows what a plumber is. I want everybody to know what a patient advocate. Brad, do you think that patient advocacy is that patients are better served by an advocate that works directly for the patient? Or do you see patient advocates being as effective or effective in a hospital setting or an insurance type situation? Because what is the big vision? Like, we've got all these different advocates in the world. Some of us are RN, some of us are not. Some of us work for insurance companies, some of us don't. So for greater national advocates, what's the vision? First of all, I believe that anybody that has the experience fighting for any problem in healthcare, either on behalf of yourself or for a family member, that's why caregivers are so important. Family caregivers in particular, people who have taken care of one, maybe two family members, and they've learned a lot. And when I say that, I mean, they're not just caregivers, they're managing care. They're fighting for insurance. They're wondering when the durable medical equipment is going to arrive and get approved and set up properly with the right home care, for example, fighting for proper benefits, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, whatever it can be. It opens a lot of eyes. You work with the patients and you find out eventually that really what you are is somebody that puts out fires for the risk management department. And you realize that's not why I went into patient advocacy. I could go into patient advocacy to like 
tell the patients and the families that I'm a patient advocate, but really my job is to make sure that the hospital's bills get paid because that's what a lot of the patient advocates do. They advocate for you ostensibly, but they're really advocating to make sure that their bills are covered. So they'll tell you that they'll advocate for insurance coverage and make sure it's it's approved, but they're doing it so that they can get paid. So when you say, where are they going to come from? I believe that those are the future independent patient advocates. Like you, like you said, you went into malpractice and then very quickly saw, wait, I'm putting out fires after they were already lit. How can I prevent them from occurring in the first place? And I love what you said about plumbers. I'd love them to be as common as plumbers, but to me, they should be as common as attorneys. You know, we're guaranteed an attorney. If you can't afford one, one will be provided for you. If you're accused of a crime. If you have to use a hospital. I mean, isn't that as just as dangerous if you don't know the lingo? That's just how I see it. Because everything, every category from crisis medicine to cardiology to nursing homes. Oh my gosh, there is such a need for advocacy in nursing homes. They're just, you know, they don't know that Aunt Betty has a urinary tract infection and that's why she's going bonkers. Give her some Ativan and sedate her so we don't have to deal with her. That is so common. They're killing old people with over-medicating. And I'm going on and on and getting down a rabbit hole. I want to turn back to you, but your response. I mean, what you just said rings true because I've not only dealt with my own personal experience that I've had, you know, I've had a lot of shit happen in, in, in my family and in my life. I've seen a lot of things and I've heard a lot of talk, you know, a lot of it has to do with why I started GNA is because there's been a lot of talk, a lot of studies, a lot of suggestions, but also a lot of people trying to do what their heart and their gut tells them to do independently, almost like in a vacuum, you know? It's really hard for the public to find somebody like that. I know it's getting easier in the digital age, but my job is to make it simple and painless for somebody that has a common billing problem, for example, Karen, or an insurance company issue or a rare disease where in this day and age, location and geography are pretty much meaningless because everything is virtual and everybody has the capability to advocate virtually. And, you know, rare disease, for example, by definition, you're not going to find somebody right around the corner, but there are plenty of people in this country come from all these different experiences. We talk about coming from the patient advocate side, working for a hospital. We talk about people like you guys that come from a RN background. There are attorneys, there are doctors, there are social workers, there are the rare disease advocates, there are medical billing. I mean, they come from everywhere. My goal is to just kind of take what everybody is doing and present it in a way to the public that can advance the entire profession and let people know where they can go and find help quickly and painlessly and without hassle. What made you want to become a lawyer? Like, because you're so passionate about this. You're one of the most passionate advocates I know for advocates, which I love so much about you. But I'm just curious. I know that your experience in the medical system is probably what spurned this this passion of yours on. But I'm curious about who you are before that. See, the way you just asked him is much clearer than what my brain did because it was asking the same question. But my brain went, and how come somebody like that starts something like that? Other than, you know, when uh, there's hundreds of people who've been through horror shows. One of the things that I do besides GNA is 
I am what you are, what you would call a certified peer mentor. And I'm affiliated with Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, which is formerly the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago, which is a deep rehab facility and, you know, amputees and uh, stroke films, brain injuries, spinal cord, whatever, come from all over the world to go to the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab to get this great care. And I, I got treated there when this happened to me for a little bit too. I bring it up because one of the things that I do is get to go into the hospital and talk to them while they're still in this subacute uh, facility. They're getting better, they're getting stronger, and I get to talk to them and give them a little vision and picture of what things are going to be like hopefully a couple of years down the road. I don't know how this relates to what you asked me, but I know I was going somewhere with it. Go wherever you want. It's going to yep. be good. We were just talking about your passion and where you came before. After talking to so many people and the question comes up a lot, oh my God, you know, how, how did you do this? And it's annoying, it's real annoying. But I think I coined a phrase to explain it. And the phrase that I think I coined is, you are what you were. And I believe that because I had, within a half an hour, I had six or seven members of my family there. I had friends. I have a really good support system. I was in that minority of people that was just able, going into it, having such great support. About a year and a half before I got sick, there was a real aggressive disability insurance salesman. They're trying to sell me and my law firm disability insurance. Bought him for a little bit. What do we need this for? What do we need this for? It's like, you need this because you never know what's going to happen. It doesn't cost a whole lot of money, but it protects you in the event of a catastrophe. So for about a year to a year and a half before this happened, I was paying premiums into a disability insurance policy. It was a great company. And by definition, under pretty much any disability insurance policy, when you lose all your limbs, you're in a category that, you know, if it's a high class quality company, like the one that I ended up with, it gave me freedom. It gave me relief from so much of the financial burden that so many other people have to go through. I didn't have to go on social security disability, for example. I was able to maintain a certain level of dignity knowing that I was going to be able to at least survive and provide for my family within a certain extent. And it gave me freedom, a lot of freedom to do this. I know you use my story all the time to tell people why they should, should get it with Northwestern Mutual. But word from our sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> but to go back to you are what you were, tell me how that. I was strong enough. I had a professional background. I think I had a good attitude going into it. If I had all those things and there are people that don't, they're the ones that are suffering. I have the ability right now to look at what happened to me, give people hope and a light at the end of the tunnel, at least from the trauma amputee perspective. And from the advocacy perspective, I know what I'm looking for and I know what the industry needs. And I feel like I know how to introduce the concept of patient advocacy to the healthcare profession because I'm into it, I'm involved in it, and I know I can at least do it through rehabilitation. I know that I can introduce patient advocacy through the legal community. I know that I can introduce patient advocacy through the insurance community because I have worked in that. So 
I'm coming at this from a lot of different angles, but to a certain extent, I'm relying on the advocates to get on board. But the mission that I've identified is I believe that patient advocacy can save lives. All I am really at this point in time is a promotional arm and a promotional tool for patient advocates and a directory for the public. Eating a big old piece of humble pie, Brad. Oh. <laughs> One thing I love about your website and about Greater National Advocates is how easy it is to find an advocate. Like no site that I've seen so far for patient advocacy is as easy as yours. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, I was just, the, the whole point of us doing these podcasts and introducing people through audio or however this turns out is to shine a light on the person we're interviewing and their story as a avenue. I just started thinking about how could we, the podcast that serves as an introduction to perhaps a bigger course, like, or, you know, like a longer hour, or maybe this person has a four or six hour. Like we interviewed Jennifer as a balls wound care nurse. By the way, uh, that would be uh, podcast uh, number five. So we want to shine a light on her and let her know for anybody listening that if your mom or your dad or yourself, there's a wound that won't heal and it's getting worse and it's been two years and doctors don't know what to do with it. You can get a hold of this woman. And she wants to teach other nurses how to do and think how she does in regard to wound care. So it's, it's still patient advocacy, but it's so specific and it's so needed. So we want to introduce via podcast to her greater course that we'll also have. And I was thinking, sorry, back around the house. What kind of longer form could we do with you? What are you supremely qualified to teach people? What I want to do is I want greater national advocates to be a conduit or like a bridge to a different world that is outside of the formal healthcare facility. And so that you can call somebody at greater national advocates community of people that actually are there to help and are willing to take the call and understand and say, thank you for calling me. This is not something I can help you with. However, I know a whole bunch of people that can help you with this. And I think that's what's lacking. I'm trying to almost force collaboration. And I want to get more people on here. I want, I want the whole world, anybody that has the ability to be a patient advocate, to offer their skills and make themselves available. I think that's such an interesting vision because when we talk about changing healthcare, I mean, I spent 20 years in the system spinning my wheels to no end, like just getting frustrated because it was so slow. Things didn't change really hardly at all, like you were saying. And if you had what you're describing as this network where it just became at a grassroots level, really, like, you know, citizens rising up to help each other, you're going to change healthcare because no person will go without an advocate. And if you go into that system with an advocate in tow, it does wonders. It changes the dynamic between the patient and the physician. It changes the dynamic, but it changes the length of the appointment. So I can kind of see this like, like I just imagine like this capillaries of the safety net of nurses, just helping patients into the system separate, like another universe. It's like uh, GNA has to be the Petri dish for a whole new life form to grow. A, a good virus, a white virus. No, it's more like, a, like immune cells, like white, like, like white blood cells. 
like you're growing a bunch of white blood cells to send them into a sick system and, and there's not enough yet you know so you're kind of you, you you're growing them over in this petri dish and they're mm -hmm. diversifying exactly. and so they can handle more different stuff because nothing's going to change unless at a grassroots level so it's all about education get more people involved get more knowledge for me it's all about access the more the merrier people available who have experience who can help regardless of what their education or actual credentials are because i know that if it's over their head they're going to get in touch with somebody that can do it so mm -hmm. Woo -hoo, for a minute there i felt like we were going to go fight someone <laughs> <laughs> gna wbc's <laughs> and thank goodness for your white blood cell analogy because mine was not that good <laughs> uh, yeah. so guys i mean we're gonna be a fighting force together i really mean it is there anything else that you want people to know? I mean, how can people reach out to you? Call me. My phone number is 312-399-0388. You can message me on Facebook. Okay, one more question. I can't stop. Okay. Very few people give out their cell phone number on a podcast that easily. You obviously really want people, if they want to get in touch with you, to get in touch with you. Why is that? Because if somebody wants to call me, obviously they're interested in doing something and I like can work with people that are interested in doing and not doing anything. Talking shit. Right. <laughs> I always tell people what I think, find a way to make it happen if it can and give whatever advice I can. People call me for all sorts of stuff and it, I like it because it really keeps me involved in terms of what's going on on the street, so to speak. I encourage any advocate to call me with any sort of question. There's all sorts of stuff that comes up. I like to hear about all of it from insurance to ethics to practical means of doing things i'm game <laughs> but i love so much how that experience just created in you a passion to do something bigger and i love how you're creating it from the get-go every day you're stitching it together it's gonna blow up i just know it i just because and you're creating it. I just think it's such a fascinating journey you've been on. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. We'll look forward to having you back. All right. Bye, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the RNAgade podcast. If you're a nurse and would like a CE for listening to this, go over to the rnagade.pro website. Antra, spell that for me, please. That's R-N-E-G-A-D-E dot pro. Thank you. So go on the website, find the podcast, do the activity. And if you have any questions, contact us and we'll be happy to help. And if you can't figure it out, fuck. <laughs> 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 <laughs>